Welcome to this big latest edition of the Visions and Tones. I'm excited because two young people decided to take up a challenge today in a debate. Of late, one of the world's renowned economists, Professor Thomas Piketty, the author of Capital in the 21st Century, made a statement and he said, there is nothing wrong with inequality unless if inequality becomes too extreme. Now, I don't know what you think about that statement, but I've got two young people who are going to battle something close to that statement, but particularly on capitalism. And the motion for today is capitalism is broken and we need a new system. I repeat, capitalism is broken and we need a new system. On the affirming side, or the one who will defend this motion, is Mr. Mauro Biose, who is a final year electrical and electronic engineer student at the University of Newcastle in Australia. And to oppose the motion is a final year Juris Doctor student, uh, Mr. Eddie Onoka. Uh, they're both studying at the University of Newcastle, but I should say that their views today are not necessarily those of their universities, uh, as we know, neoliberal university, but these are particularly their own views. And this is a structure so that you are familiar with what's going to happen. They will each have a maximum of 10 minutes to put forth their proposition or their uh, statements, and then after that, they'll also have each they'll also each have a maximum of five minutes of a rebuttal. And then from there, we're going to have about 30 minutes open discussion. And in the discussion, some of the questions that will come out are actually questions that come from a few adjudicators who agreed to take part in this episode. One is in South Africa. He's got a background in engineering and agriculture. And then the other one is in the US, um, has a background of the Ghanaian politics and South African politics. And the third one is in Canada, has got a background of the Congolese um, politics and also the Canadian politics. And then the fourth one, he's in Russia. So we'll hear from them in a space of maybe two, uh, a week or two as to what they think about this particular interlocutive. So we're going to kickstart now. Um, our guests are ready to battle it out. We're going to start with Mauro with 10, maximum of 10 minutes, and then move to Eddie with maximum of 10 minutes. Uh, Mauro, your clock starts now. Dear listeners of the Visions and Tone podcast, we are greatly indebted to capitalism. It undoubtedly has been a major driver of innovation, wealth, and prosperity in the modern era. However, it is also responsible for unbearable wealth inequality, unsustainable short-termism, and catastrophic environmental impact. The Visions and Tones administration, in its wisdom, has provided us with the following motion. Capitalism is broken. Uh, we need something. We need a new system. I am arguing in the affirmative, and the genesis of my argument relies on an analysis of the ways in which this economic system, or its crucial components, can meet some of our current and near-term fu uh, near futures more striking concerns, despite some of its successes in the past. But let me get some fundamentals out of the way. 
Every economic system is a machine that has three inputs, labor, capital, and natural resources. The machine converts these three inputs into goods and services, in other words, value. In essence, economies turn inputs into value. Within each machine, there are three fundamental parameters that determine whether the machine is operating under capitalism, socialism, or communism. Ownership of capital, ranging from public or government-owned to private-owned. The second parameter is coordination, ranging from centralized coordination where government mandates most economic decisions to decentralized, where decisions are ultimately made by the private sector. And the third parameter is the setting of prices, ranging from regulated, where governments or central bodies body set all prices, to unregulated, where prices are set mostly by markets. Despite the arduous task of describing economic systems, capitalism can be largely defined as an economic system favoring the private ownership of capital, decentralized coordination, and the market-driven setting of prices. Although there are indeed more parameters that can subcategorize economic systems, especially when they come into contact with political systems, uh, the definition early described covers its central aspects. And although it is hard to analyze a country's economic systems, there are still historical predicaments across various countries uh, that can provide us with insight in assessing the capital machine's performance and speculate its use today in a, and in our near future. I will address two concerns. Externalities. Uh, the biggest defect of modern capitalism can be expressed in a single word, externalities. Negative externalities are costs paid for by society and not the producer of the externality. A factory dumping waste into a river or emitting smoke into the air is a problem shouldered by the communities that the factory is in and not the business itself. One way to evaluate, in essence, a, per a performance of economic system is to look at the ratio of well-being to externalities it produces. Mainstream econ economists don't measure the performance of economy in this way. Their excuse, perhaps, is that externalities have historically been difficult to quantify. They assume that externalities are low and they, they can therefore be ignored. While this assumption may have once been acceptable, nowadays harmful externalities are enormous and even possible they exceed the benefits of the economic activity. One potent cause of externalities is the behavior of corporations under capitalism. Think cigarettes, predatory lenders, Volkswagen diesel emissions, uh, Takata airbags, General Motors, ignition switches, uh, asbestos, Trump University, and so on. Their profit-maximizing algorithm makes them shift as many costs as possible to workers, taxpayers, the environment, and future generations, all of whom are kept off their balance sheet. And you do not have to take this from me. Take it from the investment manager, Robert, uh, Robert Augustus Gardner Monks, who has noted, and I quote, the corporation is an externalizing machine in the same way a shark is a killing machine. There isn't any question of malevolence or of will. The enterprise has within it, as shark has within it, those characteristics that enable it to do that for which it is designed. A profit-maximizing capitalism firm is likely to ignore negative externalities such as pollution and production, uh, and this can harm living standards. Similarly, a free market economy under, will underprovide goods and positive externalities such as health, public transport, education, which leads to an efficient allocation of resources. Don't take it from me, he's Thomas Helbing, an advisor to the IMF's research department. Externalities pose an economic policy problem when individuals, households, and firms do not internalize the direct costs of the benefits from the economic transactions. 
The resulting wedges between social and private costs of returns will lead to inefficient market outcomes. In some circumstances, they may prevent markets from emerging, although there is room for market-based corrective solution. Government intervention is often required to ensure the benefits and costs are fully internalized. Number two concerning inequality. It is hard to argue that capitalism won't inevitably lead to inequality. A principle of capitalism is to allow income and wages to be distributed by the free market. According to a publication by, by USA, the richest USA Today, the richest 1% own 34% of the wealth of the richest 10% of the wealth, and the richest 10% own 74% of the wealth. In the UK, the richest 1% own 12% of the wealth, and the richest 10% own 44% of the total wealth. In France, the figures are 24% and 64% respectively. The richest 1% own 35% of the wealth in Switzerland, 24% in Sweden, and 15% in Canada. Although there are important variations, other developing countries show similar patterns of inequality uh, within this range. In the study titled Survival of the Riches, published in January 16, uh, the current year, Oxfam International reported that in 2020 and 2021, the wealthiest 1% of the world's population accumulated nearly two-thirds of all new wealth. In the previous decades, 2010s, 2020s, the richest 1% had amassed around half of all the new wealth. This means that the rate of inequality in accumulated wealth has accelerated. The rich grow richer and the poor grow poorer faster. The profit driver of capitalism can also lead to inequality by allowing businesses uh, to poten to the potential to develop monopoly power, uh, allowing businesses to be in a position to charge consumers artificially high prices and deter entry. Uh, if a firm has monopoly power, they can get away with paying a wage much lower than the productivity of the worker. Workers have no choice but to work for a very low wage. Therefore, capitalists with access to private poverty can exploit their monopoly power to make a much higher profit than other people in society. Unemployment is another symptom of capitalism, where unproductive workers are left out of the labor force and replaced by technology advancements uh, or inventions. This creates a struggle between the working class and the capitalist class, where workers fight for better conditions, fair wages, and greater dignity. Meanwhile, business owners and investors favor higher profit mar margins, often by means of reducing wages and cutting down on the workforce. South Africa stands today uh, as one of the most unequal societies in the world. Poverty and joblessness remain chronic problems, particularly by young people, boosting what is already one of the highest crime rates on earth. Only about 30% of South African households qualify as middle income. There are nearly 20 million South Africans between the ages of 15 to 35, and just 6.2 million of them have jobs. Youth unemployment is double the rate for adults, and is nearly four times higher for black youth, 40%, than it is for white youth, 11%. Unregulated capitalism without appropriate safeguards can lead to wealth concentration in the hands of few, leaving many individuals and communities behind. Emerging technologies such as, uh, such as automation further darken the picture. A study conducted by the Organization of Economic Corporation and Development in 2018 shows automating innovation in machine learning and machine learning threatens 47% of all jobs in the United States, 65% in Nigeria with a population of 140 million people, 
69% in India, home to more than 1.3 billion, and 75% in China, a country of 1.4 billion. There is a lot of personal upheaval involving very large numbers of people. Again, the point is not that those jobs will disappear. Um, it's that even if those jobs are simply replaced with a newer type uh, that complements the work of machines, the transition will be brutally difficult on a historically unprecedented scale. As for South Africa, a country already struggling with joblessness, capitalism does not guarantee equal access to jobs and ensure that all individuals have employment opportunities. A capitalist society is based on the legal right of private property and the ability to pass the wealth onto future generations. Capitalists argue that ca capitalist society is fair because you gain the rewards uh, of the hard work, but people often are rich simply because they inherit wealth or are born into privileged class. Therefore, a capitalist society fails to provide equality of opportunity. In conclusion, as written by the economist Michael Jacobs uh, and Mariana Muzakuro in a recently published book, Rethinking Capitalism, and I quote, if you judge by the measure of such, the measure of such as inequality and uh, environmental damage, the performance of Western capitalism in recent decades has been deeply problematic. Regulating monopoly power, providing affordable education so that everyone has access to education, and quality of equality of opportunity cannot be promised under a capitalist system. Government intervention is needed, which means society has to become less capitalist in order to address these concerns. Thank you. Your time has come to an end. Eddie, your 10 minutes says no. Uh, thank you for again the opportunity to speak on such a pertinent conversation. Capitalism is not broken. I'll be arguing in the negative opposing this motion and I think I'll begin by acknowledging some of the points that Maru made and maybe debunking a few issues that he might have mentioned in his submission that I think will benefit not just the listeners but even both all of us going forward. The first one is to do with externalities. I think it's a great point that indeed capitalism does pose some challenges with regards to some of the costs or the benefits which are incurred not necessarily by the producers but I think his definition didn't go over the full gamut of what an externality is. Externality, by my definition, or at least by my research, refers to a cost or a benefit that is incurred by people who are not necessarily the producers. And I'd want to stress on the point benefit, the benefit of greater public services such as schools, hospitals, and other public facilities are a direct result from capitalism, where entrepreneurs are given the incentive to produce goods and services that directly benefit the economy and contribute to prosperity, not just of their own, but of the people around them. The second point that I'd like to debunk uh, from Mara's submission is with regards to unemployment. It is true that there is a huge unemployment issue, particularly in developing economies, where there is less resources and more of the factors of production are owned by the minority who are wealthy. But unemployment, uh, particularly in many developed countries has been mitigated by government intervention, state intervention. We have the privilege of living here in Australia, which has one of the high, highest um, low unemployment rates in the world. Most people live a comfortable, decent, um, dignified lifestyle as regards to how many job opportunities are available here. So it's not the full gamut of an argument to state that unemployment is directly caused by capitalism. I think it can't be argued in instances where the people who are making decisions with regards to the economic prosperity of a country 
need to be questioned in order to actually address an issue of unemployment. I'll move on to my points. My argument today is that capitalism is not broken. And I think I'll begin with my first point in that capitalism is not broken because it promotes economic efficiency. Capitalism harnesses the power of competition, driving innovation in the production of goods and services that people desire, be it your food, be it your quality education, be it your hospital services, and even with the advent of artificial intelligence, it can be your financial technological services. Today we have the privilege of having a good podcast with Dr. T and Mauro, and we are using quality equipment from Shaw, quality equipment from Apple, which is as a direct result of competition between technology companies which are all capitalist-based. This competition drives growth, drives quality services, which is a direct result of capitalism. My second point is with regards to the alleviation of poverty. Statistics from the World Economic Forum, backed by statistics from the International Monetary Fund, postulate that the economic boom observed in the late 1980s following the recession in the 80s and the economic boom in the 2010s following the economic recession in 2008 and 2009 lifted over 65 million people out of poverty, living, living under a dollar a day to living on average $8.70 per capita, that's per person. This economic boom that has been driven by multinational private equity firms like Blackstone, multinational venture capitalist firms like Acacia and others you know, across Europe and the United States show a direct relation between capitalism and an improvement of people's economic condition. We had an instance in COVID where the government rolled out programs to ensure economic stimulus for people, not just in Australia, but across the world. And this has showed a dramatic increase in entrepreneurship endeavors, particularly amongst the youth aged between 18 and 35. This again is a direct result of capitalism and for it to be promoted effectively, I think capitalism is a great system with the right people making decisions at the top. My third point speaks towards capitalism promoting individual freedom. This goes back to the social contract theory. I think Dr. T should be aware of this with Robert Locke, where he speaks about individual freedom of people is often promoted by people being given autonomy to make their own economic decisions. It was true in the 18th century and it is true today. The free market that is created by capitalism allows individuals the autonomy to choose their profession if they want to be painters, if they want to be writers, if they want to be podcasters. Capitalism has promoted the proliferation of social media, leading to the emergence of new jobs like a content creator, an influencer, a digital marketer, so on and so forth. This is a pertinent point because capitalism recognizes that individuals are best equipped to make choices that align with their own talents and with their own ideas and with their own interests. Moving on to my penultimate point with regards to the adaptability and resilience of capitalism. In comparison with communism, socialism, and other economic models that are being postulated in the free world, capitalism presents a more adaptable economic system. Since it allows for the implementation of corrective measures, through regulation and protecting consumers through national and international legislation. At the beginning of the podcast, Tony alluded to some of my interests in the law in data protection and in cybersecurity. Capitalism directly promotes this. Investing funds in people's direct in people's direct security being um, affected by capitalism. This is through the recognition of data privacy systems by multinational companies 
people's right to being forgotten acknowledged in many developing countries and the government rolling out measures to ensure that people's online avatars are protected from proliferation, phishing and cybersecurity attacks. In the event that capitalism doesn't exist or is a broken system which is going to be phased out, people are laid bare to attacks, to intrusions of their privacy and in many instances to people masquerading as them, stealing their identities and pro promoting themselves economically at the expense of others. This is an issue that needs to be resolved and can only be resolved if capitalism is effectively promulgated not just in a developed country like Australia but even in the developing countries across the Asia Pacific and even in Africa. I'll move to my final point and this is with regards to economic mobility that is promoted by capitalism. Capitalism continues to promote the quintessential rags to riches story where through hard work, passionate personal initiative and collaboration with others, it is possible to rise from obscurity to levels of great wealth regardless of your background and start in life. Capitalism presents a platform for entrepreneurship to grow, to develop and to be nurtured by people around you who have gone through the same trajectory. In conclusion, I'd want to urge not just uh, Mauro but Dr. T and all the listeners who have joined us for this great discussion today to move over to the other side to acknowledge the fact that capitalism is not broken and that we as the young leaders or future legislators need to play our role in ensuring that we implement capitalism correctly. Thank you. Thanks, Eddie. So let's go. Let's hear from our responding back to Eddie. We've got a maximum of five minutes. And your time stats now. Uh, dear listeners of the Visions and Tones podcast, the motion before us today states that capitalism is broken. Uh, we need something new. Um, the negating side indeed pointed out some of the past um, ways in which capitalism has benefited society, and I don't dispute that. Uh, what it seems to be under assessment today is whether this economic system can uh, meet our concerns that we have currently and in the future. Um, I'll begin with uh, tackling where the negating side said that they will uh, debunk uh, the externalities point that I have brought up. They are right in saying that yes, externalities can indeed be positive and negative. Uh, but it's the negative externalities of such a system that I meant to rely my focus on. And they remain um, not tackled by the negating side. And again, these externalities are indeed, um, if we were to move into a more capitalist system, one in which uh, government regulation is lowered, one in which decisions are solely uh, made by... Um, individuals and prices are set by the markets this is what the capitalists want um, it doesn't seem to me that we are properly protected from things such as uh, monopoly power for example uh, ensuring everyone has access to education um, and um, the equality of opportunity uh, if more sectors of society are opened up to the private sector I, I would um, invite the negating side 
to explain exactly how that will lead to greater prosperity again um, it's society is becoming less capitalist by allowing regulatory bodies to intervene uh, in tandem with a capitalist system certainly that gives us the prosperity prosperity the negating side um, very happily um, expressed it is true that in the past yes capitalism has had a great impact on mitigating unemployment uh, but if we're speaking in the context of today where emerging technologies uh, pose a direct threat to the employment uh, of individuals today uh, it seems to me necessary to also point out that uh, this all the the, the negating side mentioned that capitalism empowers individuals to work in their chosen field again with the advancements of technologies this certainly will not be the case individuals will have to work in fields that they can still remain productive on in as long as uh, machines will uh, and algorithms and artificial intelligence will occupy spaces in which there are jobs today so the choices will be removed from them and it's the profit incentive that companies have that will drive these people not to uh, as the negating side pointed out work in their particular chosen um, fields um, the negating side also mentioned economic growth and how that has indeed been a driver of prosperity and uh, in the past that has certainly been the case but more and more I think that picture is under threat uh, needless to say the links between economic growth and increased wages um, have been declining over the years um, and again this is based mainly driven by the profit incentive um, that companies have under a capitalist system it seems to me that capitalism does indeed have its benefits but unless there is government regulation which again is something that is done at the dissatisfaction of most capitalists uh, is needed to address most of its concerns it seems that we have a system who if less with on devices gives us outcomes that are net negative and hence um, a move away from such a system is in is, is in order despite its past successes thank you great on time there eddie you ready to engage maru you know five minutes that's now absolutely and i think maru uh, raised some great points with regards to uh, machine learning and how robotics and definitely the monopoly that might be posed as a challenge will lead to capitalism not being as effective as it's been in the past but just as a rebuttal to some of the points raised by the people proposing the motion with regards to capitalism being an impediment uh, to free market growth and more entrepreneurship I think that that statement is not true uh, in its full essence. I think that statistics indicate that capitalist-based countries tend to have a higher allocation of resources equally. Uh, I just give the great example of tertiary education in the United Kingdom and in the United States. Some of the most capitalist countries in the world tend to be much better than the most of society with regards to quality assurance, 
with regards to its application of your degrees on perhaps what you've studied overseas and these are countries that don't hide away from showing that they are capitalist in nature and by promoting uh, free market and less government intervention they do drive growth and they do influence people to take on more entrepreneurial pursuits and be capitalists themselves towards the second point where there has been some concern raised that perhaps with the advent of machines and robotics taking up jobs and promoting unemployment which states that capitalism is a broken system i'd like to argue in the negative i'd like to think that incorporating machines incorporating robotics incorporating artificial intelligence into our day-to-day -day activities actually complements capitalism where the human element that is in ai systems promote growth and development of companies i give a great example of the chatbot system if you go into any leading capitalist comp company today and you go on their website they will have a chatbot which can predict some of the issues that you're facing and come up with creative solutions almost expeditiously which is a direct result of capitalism reinvesting some of the wealth that they have into promoting ai which goes back to my point capitalism cannot be broken because as long as we have the human element put systems in place to constantly improve it constantly push it forward it will always be a net positive to humanity and i move back to the principle of kaizen a japanese principle uh, among some of their leading capitalistic companies kaizen is a continuous improvement program where companies are put to the sword per se by themselves looking how the entrepreneurs who started these large companies like your samsung and your toyotas and your hyundai's can continuously drive growth by employing more people and reinvesting their money into research and development in the instances where there's a monopoly with regards to an economic system like communism people don't have that reflective lens to see where they're performing poorly and where they can improve and get better so we need to promote capitalism on a larger scale where people are more self-aware of their issues their challenges and they put themselves in positions to learn and their own personal growth will drive the company's growth capitalism grows more jobs more employment more economic prosperity for all people involved so that's my submission just with regards to Mara's point thank you again nice very good in saving up the time there yeah. <laughs> see you've kept us uh about uh just a little below two minutes uh still left um great so far i like the i like the engagement so far you're very rooted into deep theories and you know sounding like economists there in terms of your you know engagement and whatsoever Mauro, do you wanna okay maybe if i can just throw um questions for myself we're now running on the 30 minutes time i don't know if you had anything in particular to respond to him but now in whatever question i'll ask you if you remember points that he raised and you'd want to sort of respond to them you can feel free to sort of chip them in within that that frame remember that today i'm not wearing my academic head i'm just here as a as a moderator we trust you to be moderate <laughs> i'll be i'll be a great moderator trust me and and the thing is i, I heard i heard um Eddie trying to appeal to authority. They're saying, as Dr. T would know, I, I know nothing. I don't know if you had that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you had that. He was trying to quote some policies there and, and theories. And like, as Dr. T would know, I know Social nothing. Social contract. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not on that today. I want to touch maybe from Mauru. Um, 
First, you quoted very great stats in terms of inequality in South Africa. Um, and I think Eddie might have tried to ask this question, but perhaps it could be a second chance for you to sort of respond to it. Should it really be pinned on capitalism, the fact that the rich are becoming more richer and the poor are getting more poorer in the context where we know there's government that should also play its own role in protecting its own people, creating jobs for them, fighting corruption, and so on and so forth. And also in a context where we know there are people who are poor, but they're doing their level best not to give in into poverty, while some people want to sit and wait for handouts from the government or aid from you know, stakeholders or even international bodies. Should it really be pinned entirely on capitalism? Uh, certainly not. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, certainly not. It cannot be pinned entirely on capitalism. Many other factors contribute to um, inequality, and it's hard to dissect exactly which uh, is the largest contributor. I think for the purpose of this debate, uh, what we can indeed assess is whether or not is which systems provide answers, good answers, good solutions to the issue of inequality. And again, the profit mode of incentive of capitalism seems to be against um, negating the harms of inequality. It seems to promote inequality um, as we've observed with trends where the wealth continue getting wealthier faster in developed nations and uh, the poor um, don't, the poor, yes, become poorer even faster um, as time goes on. So, um, as you pointed out, government intervention certainly is um, expected in situations where uh, inequalities has to be um, tackled and government intervention is usually done at the dissatisfaction of capitalists and this is perhaps my point in um, assessing its brokenness. Um, did that answer your question, Tony? You, you, you're right when you say actually part of the purpose of this engagement is to think about what other systems can actually be employed because that that's the question that at the end of the day we need to sort of answer especially for you who's opposing the motion you propose that we need a new system so so I'm do you think yeah in the affirmative side of the motion you, oh sorry you are in the affirmative side of the yes. motion that we yeah but the affirmative is, is still saying that we it's broken so we do need a new system do you do you have in mind a system that you can propose as opposed to capitalism well, I, if apart, I, I, obviously, apart from the little few uh, points, and when I say little few points, I don't mean that they're really minor points to be overlooked. But apart from the fact that you did address certain ways in which inequality can be uh, can be addressed, so you mentioned that I um, had said that um, indeed this debate invites proposals of new <laughs> systems. I, I disagree with that. This debate is mainly diagnostic, not prescriptive. But you I can be on the attacking side at the same time. Because why, 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 what's the point of telling us what the problem is, but you're not giving us any proposal? Well, if you, if you go to the doctor's office, he can diagnose you and tell you what's wrong with you. Another exercise is come up with solutions for your issues. We're here for So you're not going to give us a solution I can, I can, yeah. in my benevolence, I can. 
um, some economists have uh, thought about um, the basic universal basic income as a solution for inequality for example to address your question directly um, I cannot tell you uh, the merits of such a solution but it certainly has been proposed um, there are other solutions uh, out there such as um, so and again I guess the trend that one would notice is that the solutions are away from capitalists so uh, another example is um, let's say carbon taxes for example um, taxing companies for the externalities they produce and that taxes of course increases government spending ability um, but the main point is that this is done in the direction away from capitalists it seems that tackling these issues is not left at the hands of capitalists at least not entirely if I can interject at Capita some point yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Sorry. you're going to bring Eddie into the conversation I, I, I well. definitely I'm will I'm happy to continue <laughs> dialoguing with you but <laughs> <laughs> I bring a reprimand to, to the chair there that I need to give you a break. Okay, <laughs> perhaps you can think about this. I think when we speak of capitalism, we're speaking of a system, right? An economic system. We say an economic system is broken, but the things that you are proposing, Mauru, you are proposing elements in a system. I don't know if I'm making sense. Because if you say a system is broken, we need a new system, mm. I'm at least expecting you to tell us why did, what would a new system look like. And a new system cannot necessarily be socialism or communism because those are old systems. Remember, we're talking about proposing a new system. So if you speak about tax here and there, you're speaking about... Um, but, but those things, tax, uh, uh, national income, and whatsoever, it seems you, you're addressing elements within a system. But again, also, to speak of tax in the way you do, you quoted uh, economists, perhaps maybe to make this engagement also more fruitful, if we can try to be remembering who are those economists so that we can engage their work, even post this engagement. Even in terms of you, Eddie, at some point you quoted statistics and you went to speak about the UKs and so on and so forth, and I was trying to think which statistics those are. But I think um, also the fact that this tax for mm -hmm. either either it be property tax or whatsoever, because there's other people propose that uh, uh, Thomas Piketty also proposes that to say perhaps initiating he calls it a progressive property tax for the wealthy, mm. and of which obviously progressive is trying to sort of make it not sound very militant, but mm. of which the word progressive today is received in a different way. Many people wouldn't agree with him that that's progressive. We'll say that is abuse because I worked hard for my own property and whatsoever, right? But again, to say there is um, property tax it does not inherently mean, therefore, that inequality is going to be addressed in community because there's still issues of corruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pro perhaps a proposition of a new system along with um, um, how do we then try to keep governments accountable in terms of their own corruptions. And again, I stress that the debate is diagnostic and not descriptive. <laughs> I, I leave that to the judgment of the listener. <laughs> Eddie, <laughs> you say unemployment is not uh, the direct cause of capitalism, and you say policymakers uh, are the ones who should be kept accountable 
for the inequality. And I'm thinking here, yeah, relax. I, I know nothing. Remember I said I'm coming in a space that I know nothing. I really know nothing. I wouldn't even respond to some of the questions that I'm asking you here. Um, um, I, I'm keen to know because literature on neoliberalism, which likes of Noam Chomsky even speaks about, likes of Henry Giroux speaks about, um, actually David Harvey, who's actually the spearing head of neoliberalism himself, points out the fact that the sovereignty of the state is basically reduced through transnational corporations. So to say policymakers should be held accountable while at the same time we are not very much aware of the way in which transnational corporations actually weaken the sovereignty of the state. Um, I'm wondering whether you, 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 you might want to rethink your point again. Uh, let me not give you a direct question to that, but you might want to rethink your point again in terms of the relationship between neoliberalism and policy neoliberalism and states in itself. Um, uh, how would you propose, even though this might not necessarily be uh, um, um, direct to the motion, but how would you propose that in the so-called neoliberal capitalism, governments should sort of put a foot down, because also putting a foot down against capitalism would mean people are likely to starve. Um, then just giving power to capitalists, how would you propose, therefore, that governments themselves too can flex their own power? Uh, that's a great question and observation as well. But I'd predicate it by saying I'm not entirely convinced that the sovereignty of a, of a country is under threat from a transnational co uh, company or transnational corporation. I'd like to argue the opposite. I've seen instances in the past, and I think Mauro and the listeners might appreciate transnational companies going perhaps to an uncharted territory, an uncharted market, setting up base with regards to their business ventures and promoting economic prosperity, growth, employment opportunities, and alleviating poverty, which goes back to some of the points that I raised with regards to capitalism. I'll give a great example of manufacturing and production plants. Manufacturing and production plants usually go towards countries that are laden with resources. They set up base with government intervention where they sign transnational agreements in that they shall extract these resources for a payment, for a grant, for a subsidy. And these are agreed upon across the board. The extraction of these resources has directly led to people being employed, children being fed and taken to school. These resources are then exported at a profit, earning the country foreign exchange to boost its own growth and development and its stature in the world. So for someone to go as far as saying that the sovereignty is under threat from a transnational company coming and setting base in their country, I think it's a misnomer. It's far from the truth and it's a substantial departure from what governments intend to do when they reach out to foreign bodies and reach out to powers perhaps um, for a donation. I'd like to go back uh, to your second point with regards to unemployment. Yes, in certain instances, capitalism can drive unemployment with the automation of certain systems, people being made redundant as a result of uh, machines doing the job better and being more efficient than the human element. But that goes back to the point that I made initially, that the interaction of humans and technology working together, not in a convoluted process where people don't know their objectives, if they work together, that collaboration drives growth to an unprecedented level that would, on, would not be experienced if it's just technology working by itself, if it's just a human working by itself. 
I've given examples of the chatbot system. I could give examples of even a more relevant example today is ChatGPT. It has ChatGPT has its critics with regards to the quality of the output that it takes out. People say it lacks credibility. Some of its sources cited are not true. But I think as it continues to grow and quality assurance processes continue to be put into ChatGPT, its interaction will directly promote capitalism and directly promote businesses where certain processes which were administrative, certain processes which were um, time-consuming with regards to human spending time on issues that are not directly contributing towards the bottom line can be completely replaced by machines. And we're seeing it in developed countries, you know, across Singapore, China, Korea, countries that have the, you know, the courage to take the first step and say, we are going to delegate certain tasks to machines. Obviously, we're going to have an oversight body to ensure that these machines, you know, don't throw their tools and start taking on decisions of their own. But we are going to have the courage of delegating certain issues, let's say transport issues, um, housing issues, let's talk about hospital and health issues. We're going to delegate large extents of these jobs to machines and focus on developing uh, better strategies and formulating better strategies to be a competitor in the world market in the future. So to both those points, I'd say, yes, capitalism is not broken. If they're the right uh, people, custodians of the capitalistic system, in charge and making the right decisions to drive countries forward. And I've given examples just across the Asia Pacific. I've given examples in the United States, in the United Kingdom. Even here in Australia, there has been instances where capitalism has grown directly as a result of reliance on technology. We see it in the immigration system. The EMI account, which has been rolled out by the state governments and now by the national government, has made it easier for us to apply for visas, to bring spouses, to bring family members. This would not be possible if the government institutions put their tools down and said, you know what, we don't want to promote capitalism or the promulgation of artificial intelligence. Let's just do these things ourselves. I think Australia would um, lag behind the regards to economic development and prosperity if they didn't incorporate these technologies and these ideas of capitalism. And I support... I mean, so yeah, you're going for a long, but I think at the same I time. Can as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go on. Or are these questions directly just have one of us? Is it? Hey? You, you can feel free to engage if you want to engage. Yeah. But I w uh, before you go, that Mauro, can I give him a second question? Because I think I overwhelmed you a little bit at the beginning of the of the of the, of the engagement. I like the fact that Mauro, in opening, tried to sort of define for us capitalism, um, um, and and sort of mentioned three elements around it: labor, capital, and um, natural resources. But on the point that you were raising now, obviously there's too many things that are not sort of coming out in this conversation and I'd love to hear you, Eddie, coming in, you know, in that if you say capitalism is sort of solid, we don't need a new system. In a sense that many people who criticize capitalism, sorry, many people who criticize uh, either your communism or your socialism, they sort of lean more towards thinking about, you know, destroying entrepreneurship, talking about um, dictatorship and so on and so forth, of which I'd love to hear from you um, in terms of the dictatorship that is also seen within a capitalist system today, uh, um, what your thoughts are, are around it. But also, I'd love to hear your thoughts in terms of Yanis. Um, Yanis basically suggests that 
capitalism now has sort of evolved to be something bigger than the way it was. Obviously, we are now in, you know, more advanced stage of capitalism. And he spoke about something called a techno-feudalism in, in, in a sense where, you know, um, what we see now in, in capitalism within the growth of tech and so on and so forth, people are sort of also turned into one, what one might call um, a passive proletariat, right? The way in which we do not have more control in terms of our bodies, we do not have, not, not have more control in terms of our decisions, the way in which platforms, um, uh, social media platforms have actually taken over and how through our movements our search and whatsoever we are contributing into you know the market but we basically not paid while we're busy doing that i'd love to hear your thoughts um um around that i had actually uh, a more well-crafted question for you in terms of that and 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 if you can sort of weigh in a little bit in terms of the, the the fact that capitalism cannot sort of be held accountable um, uh, in most cases. You see uh, likes of uh, Facebook and its partnership with Cambridge Analytica, the whole conspiracy around, you know, the culmination of Trump into administration and also how Cambridge Analytica might have actually uh, been involved in stirring up certain political conflicts in third world countries, pushing propaganda and so on and so forth. Are you suggesting that kind of a capitalist state should also be left out and, 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 and ideas of fixing that and ideas of um, uh, building a well society should be only imposed on the government? Those are two uh, great questions as well, and really thought-provoking, not just for myself and for the listeners. I'll begin with the first question, in that does capitalism promote a certain sense of dictatorship? I'd like to argue not, and it alludes to some of the points that Sir Richard Branson speaks about in his book, Losing My Virginity, and Business Laid Bare. In his first trip to Asia, he said there was democracy in the sense that capitalism was being practiced, but there were certain families who had formed business companies known as Chables, where it's a family-owned company that runs for hundreds of years, dictates certain structures of an economy, let's say the automotive economy, where a Hyundai or a Honda or a Toyota come up with incredible amounts of resources to develop these products not just to serve the asian market but the whole world and it's regulated in a body that they are all signatories to and they hold themselves accountable on a quarterly biannually half yearly basis and i think it's a great point if you have the factors of production to control an economy and you agree to be uh, conscionable in your dealings with yourselves and your dealings with other people i don't think you can classify that as a monopoly in that you have made a decision to serve people, you've made a decision, a collective decision between you and all the other leading companies to ensure that quality products are being uh, disseminated to the society. I think it's a great thing and other parts of the world need to follow suit if you're going to have a capitalistic system where great products are being incentivized. To your second point on whether capitalism, there's an accountability issue with regards to capitalism. I don't think not as well. I think Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok, many of your huge social media services are under public scrutiny for many of the decisions that they make. It alludes to, I think, a few years back when the founder and owner of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, faced a state economic inquiry with regards to some of the data privacy issues that Facebook uh, were contravening. And he was put to task 
in front of a panel of judges a panel of experts with regards to technology to and to be asked yes you're profiting of the uh, avatars online avatars of people do you have measures in place to ensure that this information is not being sold to others and he was you know consequently found guilty he had no provisions to ensure that these data was not being sold to companies and then have those companies market certain products to them with regards to facebook ads and they faced a huge huge lawsuit where they lost you know in you know from memory close to five six billion dollars and i know a punitive measure where money is involved is not as conclusive because these companies have a lot of money and they can just generate more to cover some of their losses but it's a warning and it's it sends out a message to other of the competitors towards your facebook's and your large um, social media companies in that if you behave in unconscionable conduct you will be punished there are punitive measures in place if you contravene the regulations which is a deterrent to any unethical conduct in the future and yeah that speaks to the both questions that you raised unless there are any rebuttals let's hear from yeah, <laughs> I, I can indeed comment <coughs> Um, I think one of the reasons why there are those who claim that capitalism is broken is because its biggest enemy are capitalists. Which is to say, I think to Yanis' point, if I am quoting his word correctly, he, when he say we have, uh, how do they call it, techno... Techno-feudalism. Techno-feudalism. He's saying that there are certain companies that are becoming so big having so much power having so much political power or the effect uh, the uh, ability to affect politics as you pointed out with Cambridge Analytica that uh, they are in a very peculiar position historically no no other company has had this sort of um, um, a, a, a ability to exist in a space where there's no government recommendations is how to deal with their um, with their reach with their power right so these companies are in, in essence making decisions uh, that are unregulated that governments in some of these cases as Eddie pointed out in his example they have to intervene after the fact right and um, again these companies have a lot of power have a lot of lobbying political power as well they can get off the hook with uh, malpractice. And again, it's after the fact that um, either civilians and governments have to come to the companies and reprimand them and not the capitalists themselves providing solutions to address the issues that they um, raise. And this is not, of course, entirely new. Monopolies of the past have been doing the same as far as malpractice and as far as they can drive profits we can talk about the tobacco industry for example um there are many lawsuits <laughs> uh there are many for, for those listening uh, tony just uh, raised a uh, what, what is this it's a cigar it, it's a cigar yes I, i'm assuming you're celebrating something but <laughs> um Yes, we can think about the tobacco industry. For as long as they can make profits, they will make profits in spite of any negative consequences of their practice. Um, the controversy wars in, in the tobacco industry that the links between smoking and lung cancer were known by uh, tobacco sellers, but they kept it 
um, away from uh, public knowledge and s continue selling for as long as they could and of course once um, they were um, held accountable for 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 their decision to continue selling despite their knowledge they had to pay a fine but of course after the fact the argument on this side of the debate is to say that yes capitalism has its successes but it needs to be saved from itself and we can then begin a discussion about what sort of measures mm -hmm. what sort of substitute to capitalism um can occur and i think eddie is arguing points on my side more than he realizes um, by, of course, how he mentioned um, how uh, Facebook was reprimanded. But probably he, 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 he's still fine with the points on your side by the fact that he's fine with this and you call it it's not as deep as possible. <laughs> Let me try to reckless there. But, but to respond to you, <coughs> Eddie, we're actually running out of time. I want, <coughs> sorry, the cracks of the morning. <laughs> I want to I wanna throw a question, uh, perhaps maybe this might be my last question, but I want to give you enough time to respond to the mouthful of what I'll say now. Just to respond to you, Eddie, you, th you, you say to think that there's dictatorship and capitalism is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a falsehood or an error thinking or whatsoever. I think there's tons of, of literature, mate, that points out to uh, uh, the dictator aspect of, 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 of capitalism. You look at literature on uh, authoritarian neoliberalism, um, likes of Noam Chomsky, Henry Giroux, actually points those ones especially within the context of uh, social movements right um, you think of South Africa Fismas Fall movement how students would go on a protest even though some might say but you're being anarchist or you're being fascist or whatsoever you need to be addressed with uh, uh, more violent power and whatsoever but we need not to overlook the fact that that's also disempowering somebody else if you use state owned resources against people who've got a right to go on a protest protest for service delivery. If we're speaking of vandalism, that's completely something else, but we cannot entirely argue that everything they had sort of vandalism. But let's move away from South African Fismas War Movement. You look at the world, what was happening during COVID, to say to people, it might sort of be a soft dictator to say, you're not getting vaccinated, you're not coming back to work, and so on and so forth. Saying that to people that when we did not have the vaccine, they've put their lives you know, on the line to try to save the community. That's also an aspect of, of dictatorship. It might be the fact that because we remember a dictatorship so harshly within the Soviet Union and so on and so forth, we're actually turning a bit of a blind eye or we are too relaxed in the way in which capitalism is now evolving and remaking itself by adopting certain elements of silencing dissident groups and dissident ideologies in the same way that communism did, uh, perhaps we may need to think more beyond that. But while I'm speaking about movements, Slavoj Zizek made this point, and I'd love to hear from you guys. Wait, <laughs> he's already laughing when I speak of Slavoj Zizek. I love Slavoj because he's got a very peculiar way of thinking. You know, that's that's just Slavoj. I'm not sure if peculiar is good. <laughs> <laughs> but Slavoj proposes that. So um, he, he argues that all these movements, your Black Lives Matter, your Me Too movements, your um, 
um, the, the LGBT movements, they are not really that revolutionary in the way that people think of them as revolutionary. But at the same time, many people view those movements through the lens of pushing socialist, capital, uh, communist ideologies. But they're not actually thinking that they remain subjectivities of capitalism in a sense of look at who funds them. Me Too movement was actually even funded by the very same capitalist, powerful people who needed protection from the very same sisters, right? Which Slava Jija criticized them. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it George Soros who's been said to be sponsoring the Black Lives Matter? And how you see also the culmination of Biden into high administration, he actually rides on the very same idea of you know being an ally, both Biden and, and Kamala Harris, you know, Kamala Harris pushing the ideas of protecting women's bodies and so on and so forth, which those at the same time people might say, okay, it's democratic values and whatsoever, but at the same time for some people they're seeing this as being weaponized by the very same they are used as pawns within the fights of the very same capitalists. What would your responses be on those? I'd say I'm not surprised. Um, political actors tend to think out their moves and their processes way before they eventually make a decision. So it is alarming, you know, as a common person to hear that some of these um, large capitalists, you know, are going as far as trying to effect some political ramifications in their countries. But it's not a surprise. We can't uh, sit at this table and say that political actors don't affect the economy political actors don't directly influence capitalism it would be a fabrication of the truth but to come uh, back to the questions that you raised um, just with regards to is capitalism directly related to a dictatorship uh, it is an argument that has merit and I'll caveat that by saying some of the countries where capitalism is seen as a dictatorship have some of the highest quality of living in the world if you look at the Human Development Index, which is an index created by the United Nations to show areas and countries in the world where people's standard of living is substantially higher than the norm. You look at your Scandinavian countries like Finland and your Sweden and your Czechoslovakia. These are countries where the government intervention with regards to capitalism is so high that someone from a more liberal country will come and say, you know what, I feel I'm being oppressed. The government has too much of a say in my day-to-day -day affairs. But if you ask a local who lives in those countries as to how their day-to-day -day existence is, they couldn't sing more praises of their government. They have more freedom to pursue their economic um, opportunities. They are being supported with regards to their social security, free tertiary education, free health systems. Some of them are being supported as much as being given subsidies to buy homes if they can prove that they're legally married. For me, it's difficult to explain to a person who has been, you know, given all those um, privileges from a young age that they're going to be taken away because someone from the Western world thinks that this is not freedom, that the capitalism is strangling you, you have it up to your neck, and you need to move to a place where you ha perhaps you can pursue more liberty to make decisions. And, you know, it goes back to your point that you mentioned by some of our great philosophers with the techno-feudalism issue. Technophilism is actually a huge issue, prevalent issue, particularly in countries where people want to pursue more economic freedom. But if you look at it from the lens that people are being given opportunities that they hitherto would not experience anywhere else to pursue some of their desires in life, to ensure that they have a certain level of individualism, I think it's a, it's a better trade-off. It's a better trade-off in my opinion, and I'd be open to anyone coming to criticize that <laughs> position, but I'd largely believe that it's a, it's a better trade-off, and it, 
attracts more people to move into that environment where they feel that their individual rights, freedoms, and desires will be respected. Yes, if I, if I may also uh, provide my two cents. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I completely understood your question um, because it seemed like one of politics and not one of economics per se, although both come into contact. Which one? Um, particularly the one that's lava Yes. Right. Um, both come into contact. Um, I'm not sure it can be pinned down to an economic system per se. Um, in regards to your other question, um, which I can't entirely remember exactly what you had said, but it was in relation to... Could you remind me? It was about dictatorship. Yes. Is that the one? Yes, dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps my, contri- my contributions to both questions are not very productive. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that the, 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 the dictates of the vaccine uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic were necessarily made by um, capitalists. It was governments who would make such dictates. Of course, they enforced them and businesses had the opportunity to adopt or, or not. Um, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure if I follow your question. If that was to say that this is in, in the hands of the capitalists instead of the government, was that was that it? Is that, am I clear in making that? Okay. Um, what, I, what, I, what I foresee, perhaps you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is the fact that you're thinking more of capitalism, more just focus only on the um, economic aspect of it. But of which, from a political science perspective, I'm thinking of economics, actually, of capitalism being a broad thing. It entails even the politics, how politics play out, how social life plays out. So to, to really diagnose, I think to really diagnose capitalism in its full, I'd really advise for people to not just think of it as just as an economic system. Think also about how politics interfere in this. Because because of because of the way in which capitalism has now evolved and has advanced, you know, to try to to try to get more profit, the element of ethics has to remain questionable. And what does ethics speak about? It speaks exactly about human interaction also. Yes. Um yeah, that's a good contribution. I would like to, uh, I think, uh, give praise to Eddie's uh, comments so far. They've been quite informative. I think uh, he has provided the, your listeners a lot to think about, and I hope I've done the same. You did. I like the comeback, the, the turnaround, the, <laughs> the clarity towards what, what is the purpose of the debate. It was good. Yes, needless to say, this is not my field of academic expertise, but I hope it was valuable nonetheless. Thank you, Tony, for the opportunity for us to sit down and... Um, to this debate, it was quite enjoyable. Likewise, um, I must say, Mario really did come with excellent <laughs> points. Uh, it destabilized me a bit, and I think that's the purpose of any debate. Uh, he's, he's very prepared. He's yeah. a great man who prepares. I know. Yeah. And it just shows, even in the future, we might have debates on maybe relevant issues. And uh, I've got one point. last question. I would yeah. be I'd be guilty if I don't po- 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 uh, pose this one. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, a dedicator from the Congo is very much concerned with what is happening in the Congo. Yeah. Uh, the artisanal mining 
you know, child labor. So I'm keen to know within the context of saying we don't need any system, capitalism is good. How would you how would you advise policymakers in the Congo to find a space where there's safe mining, uh, and we see profit of the resources going to reach to the last lowest person who's even a lumpen proletariat, if, if possible. And in the case of you, Mauro, how would you advise policymakers um, in the context of we need a new system, if possible? Um, if I may go first, I, I believe I'll be brief. And this is the issue, uh, the base of my critique of capitalism, is the negative externalities factor. Uh, in, in coming up with a um, a solution for such an issue would be for such companies to have their externalities as part of their balance sheets, which is to say, instead of the externalities have to be paid off by the people of Congo, have the companies also address uh, the costs, the harms um, that they are indeed affecting at the people of Congo. It, it, it can be done in a variety of ways. Um, there's taxes that can be implemented as far as uh, workplace um, safety uh, is, is concerned um, amongst other ways and, and again I this is I think solution the part of where we prescribe solutions is a difficult one um, one can only speculate uh, what works can look a lot different than uh, what we can theorize um, hence my persistence in wanting to stay in the diagnostic side of things. But yes, I hope that provides some insight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great answer. And I think um, I'll reiterate what he said. How we proceed to solve some of these issues that are being faced in the Congo. Remember your motion. I'm tasking you within your motion. Within my motion. <laughs> yeah. No, you can tell him what to say. Say with your heart. I'm not. Say, I'm not telling him what to say. I'm tasking him within his motion. Uh, that changes the lens and within my motion I'd say proceed with caution it's maybe naive uh, to believe that the people who come to extract these minerals and these artisanal products have the best intentions in mind of the artisans themselves considering you know the historical ramification of Belgium's influence in the Congo how they have extracted resources to boost their own economic growth that needs to be given close attention and it's contingent of the leaders involved and I always stress back to the leaders, even in our previous episode, Tony, because they're the custodians of all the decision-making that happens. The buck stops with them. If you have people coming into your country to conduct an economic project to, uh, you know, apparently boost both your economic positions, you need to carefully criticize what is the ulterior motive of the people that you're engaging with. For someone to come to your country and say, you know what, we're going to extract your resources, but we might give you a token, in the form of a very small financial amount for us to take resources from your country worth billions of dollars for me it's a ridiculous proposition if you don't proceed with caution so them engaging not just their own authorities but other african countries who have you know better experience dealing with international corporations like your south africa perhaps your kenya your mozambique your nigeria having those leaders debate have a dialogue on how we're going to deal with foreign powers is essential because two heads are better than one. I can't make a decision that has binding effects if I don't consult other people who've made such decisions in the past. So I think your friend, uh, the academic who you know expresses his concern about the Congo, has merit in those concerns. And my response would be to proceed with caution. Capitalism applied blindly can have negative repercussions. Capitalism is not broken. 
but capitalism needs to be applied judiciously capitalism needs to be applied with reference to the right materials with reference to the right procedure in order and also to have a regulatory body and oversight body to look at those decisions examine them objectively and give negative feedback if those decisions have negative ramifications to the people so i'd say proceed with caution put one foot in check the temperature of the water and then put the second foot in Perfect. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. It was a very good. You done? Very good engagement. You yes. done for the day? Yeah. You done for the day? Awesome. Thanks so much for. Uh, Patting shorts. What books, economic books, would you um, recommend? Just two. Two economic books. Yeah. I'd say the more finance. I'd say uh, your money or your life is a really good book. By who? Uh, should be Ricky Sharma. Not too sure. And you know, I obviously want to promote the traditional classics. You know, rich dad, poor dad, think and grow rich. <laughs> The 16 Laws of Wealth by Napoleon Hill. If you're listening, <laughs> 16 Laws of Wealth is a great book, not just for economic growth of a country, but personal finances. Right. Yeah. Now, um, I think f- there, there are many resources that one could uh, encounter when uh, wanting to know more about economic systems. I tend to find that most people on the, let's say most people that are against capitalism, they never directly interacted with the resources of those who propose the economic system and those who critique other economic system, um, Marxism alike, never read Marx. So as far as understanding economic system is concerned, I'd recommend uh, a basic, basic economics written by Thomas Sowell. I think it's uh, used as a manual in some universities but it's written in such that um, it's accessible to anyone want interested in the topic, not necessarily um, business students. Um, so for the second book, for the second book, I think um, perhaps, um, in fact, I would recommend uh, Ian Brennan, Brennan, Us Against Them, it's not necessarily a book about capitalism, but it uh, makes an assessment on how our current concerns will be cashed out given how our political and economical systems are um, set up around the world. And he picks 12 countries, um, South Africa included, and he makes an assessment on how what we can observe as far as dynamics of both the economic systems and political systems are concerned. I would mm-hmm. recommend them both. I'd like to interject and just recommend uh, one more book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently read it actually. It's called Trust by Francis Fukuyama. So yeah. it's called Trust, Creation of Social Values. A great political science commentator and I think it's relevant not just in the 20th century but even today. Uh, he speaks about how high trust societies where people trust each other have a direct correlation to economic prosperities and low trust societies particularly developing countries have higher incidences of crime higher incidences of theft higher incidences of just economic degradation a great book it's I'm called trust I'm not a critique of Fukuyama but we'll <laughs> talk about that sometime even, even, even um, what's this guy Wealth of Nations yeah great book as well yeah. great book um, um, <laughs> okay I'll leave I'll leave the listeners with Capital in the 21st Century that's uh, Thomas uh, Piketty and then I'll also leave uh, Zambian economist Dambisa Moyo yeah. Dead Aid Ooh. I think that's brilliant Dead Aid is good yeah
that's us thanks for tuning in uh remember this is more educational but we're still keen to engage more so keen to learn more none of us in this engagement are economists i uh, might come from a sociopolitical uh field but uh economics not really my strength um but i really learned a lot from our two guests today and i appreciate you gentlemen coming in uh, and uh sharing your wealth of knowledge and research Thank and for having us to you visitors and towns go ye and watch over your money be great stewards of your capital anything that you can make money out of and we'll see you next time we are out all right peace <laughs>